If you haven't already, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn over to the book of John chapter 1. Um, I would encourage you to to put one of those little um, strings in your Bible there because we're going to be in John for some time. Um, here at Redeemer, we, we work straight through books of the Bible, and, and in 2018, uh, we're going to be working through the Gospel of John. Last week, we kind of introduced this study, and we made it very clear that, that our goal is to see Jesus, to see him clearly, to see who he is, to see what he's done for us, and to trust him, to follow him, to obey him, to love him, to serve him in his world. And so today, we're going we're gonna to dive into our study by looking at John chapter 1, verse 18. I committed last week, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 18. I committed last week to try to approach John in, in bigger sections. Um, and so as I was studying verses 1 through 18 this week, I thought to myself, this is a colossal mistake because there's a good 12 hours of material here. Fear not, we'll, we'll, we'll stop at at least six tonight. Um, but as I, was, as I was wrestling with how to summarize all the depths of the knowledge and the wisdom and the truth that are in these passages, I realized that we don't have to do that because these 18 verses introduce to us the totality of John's gospel. So really what chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5 all the way through chapter 21, what those chapters do is they take the truths that are introduced here and they drive them deeply home for us. So what we're going to see today in these 18 verses is that Jesus Christ is God Jesus Christ is God among us to reveal God and to bring salvation to us. And I think most importantly that Jesus Christ is the hero of this story that we call the Gospel of John. What's the Gospel of John about? Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of the Gospel of John? That we would see Jesus, we would receive him, we would believe in him, we would find life in his name. And so John does not begin his story about Jesus the way Matthew does, the way Mark does, the way Luke does, with a story about a baby in a manger, which is good and true. But he begins with a story about an eternal God taking on human flesh to reveal his nature as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to show us and give us and purchase us his salvation. So the main point of this passage is that in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, who is God, dwelt among us in order that we may become children of God. In the form of a man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has dwelt among us in order that we may become children of God. This is our, our truth this morning. It's as if John is, is making sure that we don't misinterpret 
the human, the human stories of Jesus. It's as if John is making sure that we don't misinterpret the miracles of Jesus. It's as if John is making sure that we don't misinterpret the death of Jesus on a cross. It's as if John is making sure that we don't misinterpret his resurrection. What he's making very clear from the beginning is the point that he's going to make over and over again. Jesus is God. Jesus became man. Jesus brings salvation. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Jesus gives salvation. This is the point of the Bible. It's the point of the New Testament. It's the point of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's the point of the Gospel of John, and it's the point that we're going to spend most of 2018 wrestling with. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Jesus gives salvation. So let's dive in to our passage and let's, let's see these truths rise up. So for my note-taking friends, uh, the first point this morning, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. You know, sometimes theology is the point. So there are the nerds among us who love to wear patches on our sleeves and sit around in circles and stroke our chins and, and talk about deep truth and talk about theology. And there are others of us who are like, man, just, just give me something tangible. Give me something practical. Give me something that connects with my life. And most of the time, we're both right. Most of the time, we need both. We need truth and we need take-home application. But sometimes the truth is the point. Sometimes the theology is the point. And in these 18 verses, the theological, that is the, the reality of who God is and who Jesus is, is the point for us. Because without this base of who Jesus is, without the foundation of, of how God brings salvation to his people, then all things tangible and practical crumble. We build our faith upon truth about God. And this passage's main point is truth about God. And our first point is Jesus is God. So to teach us this point, John takes up a phrase that is foreign to us and a bit of a head-scratcher, but was a very common phrase to his readers. And that phrase is the Word. So we have in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then John's going to go down, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So, God, so John picks up this phrase, the Word, that we don't use often. The Word. The Word became flesh. The Word dwelt among us. The Word is God. The Word was, like, we don't talk that way. But to John's readers at that time, this phrase was filled with all types of interpretations. So when you read the Word here, think of the way our current society throws around the word God. God, right? So you hear the word God on the news. Do you have any idea what that means to the person who said it? None whatsoever. If they're Jewish, it means the God who's revealed as 
the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they're a Christian, it most likely means that they mean God, the father of Jesus. If they're neither, it means the, the force that's out there and among us. If they're Islamic, it means Allah, right? The phrase God in our society has all these different meanings that float around. And the word at the time that John was writing was kind of like that as well. To a Jew, the word meant the divine speech of God whereby God is powerfully revealing himself and powerfully doing things. And so to a Jew, the word was with God and the word was God is saying that this word is divine. To a Greek in that time, the interpretation was all over the map. The word was kind of like this impersonable, impersonal principle of reason that was kind of just out there. So notice what John's doing. He's making a clever, artistic writing move. He's taking a phrase that everybody uses and really means nothing to anyone because it means everything to everyone, the word. And he says, I'm going to tell you about this word and I'm going to define this word for you. Everybody, so, so John's, he's being clever. He's, he's taking something that everyone talks about and he says, let me tell you about the one true God. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about what is ultimate, what is divine, what is eternal, what is existent forever. The word is God. The word created everything. The word is Jesus Christ. So John uses this creative phrase to draw everybody in and say, that divine thing that you love to talk about, Jesus is the true divine God. So Jesus is God. And so to make it very clear, John tells us in these 18 verses that the word is Jesus Christ. So we follow along, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the, so we're talking about the Word, but who is the Word? In the Word was life, and, and the life was the light of men, and the, the light came to men. And then we come back, verse 14. The Word, this Word that we're talking about, became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so the Word became human. Okay, and we saw him, okay, and John told us about him, okay. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, that which comes from the word, came through Jesus Christ. So John is definitively telling us that this word he is talking about is Jesus Christ. So you have the word, this phrase that everyone uses to mean that which is divine. And then you have John saying, the word is Jesus Christ. And then he's going to tell us that the word is God. The word is God. So now let's, let's look exactly at how John is going to build the case that Jesus Christ is God. This is so huge and so important for us. The church later on in the 300s did not make up the idea of Jesus' divine nature. 
The church did not create in 325 the idea of the Trinity. These realities are at the very core of the life, teaching, ministry, and work of Jesus. And John is helping us see this from the very beginning. So how does John build his case that the Word is God? In the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, is clearly a reference to anyone with any knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, to anyone with any Jewish background, is an intentional, clear reference to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, so John's going to take us right there. Because who in the beginning created everything? God did. So in the beginning was the Word. So the Word existed along with God in the beginning. And the Word was with God. So the Word was in, was present in God the Father's presence at the beginning. And the Word was God. So the Word was divine in nature. The Word was active in creation. Everything that was made was made by Him. Nothing exists apart from His power and creation. The Word, verse 4, in the Word was life. The Word gives life. He is the source of existence. And the life that is the word was the light of men. The word is good and not evil. Keep going. John 1.14 The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory as the only son from the father. The word is the son of of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17 and 18, the Word makes God known among men. The Word manifests the glory of God. So what John is laying down for us is the idea that there is one God who is Father and Son. This did not come later. John is laying this down as the core of Christianity. There is one God who is Father and Son, and John and other teachers will later add, and Holy Spirit. But this Father sent His Son to reveal His salvation to us, but this point is central John 1, 1 through 18 is making this point, and I know our heads are, are in it a little bit right now, that God the Father is God the Son. There is one God, and God the, and the Son is God. Jesus is divine. Jesus is active in creation. Everything that exists comes through him. Jesus is light. Jesus is good. Jesus does bring salvation. And friends, there's nothing that John is teaching that's new. But what John is doing is clarifying what always has been. 
Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Chapter one, verse three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. How did God create light? By his word. Chapter chapter one, verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. How did God create the expanse? By his word. Chapter 1, verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. How did God do it? By his word. Chapter 1, verse 11, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. How did he do it? By his word. Jewish people had always believed that God created by his word. And all John is clarifying is, The word was Jesus Christ. God did it through his son, who was also Equally, God along with him. Jesus Christ is God. And John is taking all of the possible way to to squeak and, and, and squeeze out of that truth away, and he's making it very, very clear to us. The word is Jesus, and Jesus is God. So, friends, what this tells us is that the Jesus we read about in the rest of the Gospel of John is no mere man. He has come to make God known to us. This tells us that Jesus has the authority to do and teach and claim the things that Jesus is going to do and teach and claim. A few examples, John chapter 8. Jesus is going to say that before Abraham existed, he existed. And he's going to say that Abraham longed to see the day where God's son Jesus would be worshipped amongst God's people. You can't say that if you're just a man born at a particular time, and soon to disappear. John chapter 14, Jesus is going to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus cannot make that claim if Jesus himself is not God. Our salvation is purchased by God at great expense to God. Jesus is divine. And so the one point I want to put before us here this morning is what we think about Jesus matters. What we think about Jesus matters. There are many issues in scriptural interpretation. There are many issues within Christianity and Christendom where we can agree to disagree. There are many issues where where I can say, hey, I see how you see that, and I don't think I see it that way, but, but let's minister together, let's encourage one another, let's pray together, let's help one another. But on this issue, our faith hinges because Jesus is either a blasphemer of all blasphemers or Jesus is himself divine and worthy of worship and able to purchase our salvation. Jesus himself is God. And so as I made reference in passing earlier, this means that this idea that there is one God who is revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
the idea of Trinity is something that matters to the New Testament because Jesus is claiming that he is God. This leads now to our second point that will not take nearly as long, I promise. Maybe. These 18 verses make it very clear that Jesus is also a man. That Jesus is also a man. So there's not some divine hocus pocus going on here where God kind of just came down and um, kind of tricked us into some kind of Star Wars thing where he appeared to be here, but he really wasn't here, and, and the light of the force was among us. and all, like, like, no, no. This passage is claiming that this word who is God became a human and took on human flesh and physically, literally, with a mind and with a body, dwelt among people to make God known among people and to bring salvation to God's people. So the Word is a real person who entered real human space in real human time to minister to real people so that they can know the one true God. And I think John is going to great lengths to make this point to us because in verse 6, have you ever wondered why he goes from verse 4 and 5, the word was life and the light was the light of the man, to this kind of off-by-the-side narrative about a guy named John who did ministry and talked about one who was to come after him. The reason I think John does that right there is because he knows his readers knew of John. He knows his readers knew that John was a real person with a real ministry in a real place. And he says, this real person told you about another real person who was different than all other people because he was both God and man. And then we're told in verse 9 through 13, that this light, who is Jesus, has literally come into the world. He was literally in the world. Yes, I know he made the world, but he was in the world, and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his people didn't receive him. But he was in the world. How did this happen? Verse 14, the Word, who is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the Word, the only God who is at the Father's side, has made him known to us. John is going to great lengths to tell us that Jesus indeed was a real person in real space and real time. Jesus really did come to a manger, take on human form, grow up, mature, live, teach, do miracles, die, and rise again. And now he lives and reigns from the throne of the Father in heaven. Jesus is God and Jesus is a man. Now friends, this is the the unexpected turn of the Jesus story. The turn that God would come to earth to keep his 
promises. The turn that God would come and dwell among us to purchase our salvation. The turn that God would take the initiative to come to us rather than looking to us to take the initiative to come to him. That God would come and do for us what we can never do for ourselves. That God would taste the bitterness of the weight and the sting of our sin being committed against him and the weight and the sting of our sin being poured out upon him, that God who would come and take flesh and endure hardship and endure suffering and endure temptation and endure rejection and endure all the real, the real tangible struggles that humanity feels, God came and took all of that on and experienced it all so that he could give us a real, tangible, earthly deliverance from sin and death. This passage makes very clear that the Jesus who is God is also fully a man. And the importance of this for us is equally huge. It shows us that Jesus took the initiative to bring salvation to us. It shows us that Jesus was willing to take on human flesh and willing to enter into our reality so that he could deliver us from our reality. If you want to think some more about that, I would encourage you to read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. And friends, if Jesus took this initiative to enter into our brokenness so that we could experience God's salvation, this becomes a metaphor that shapes the way we live as the church in God's world whereby we take initiative to enter into people's brokenness to bring God's salvation to them because that is how God brought his salvation to the world through his son, Jesus. So two theological points that that launch us in, Jesus is God, Jesus is a man. Now, some of you might be scratching your heads here a little bit. You're like, hold up. How is it that Jesus is both God and man? How is it that God is one and he's also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do we have three gods? No, we have one. Friends, these are the difficult realities of our faith that we're brought to wrestle with. But I think what's important for us to get our minds around this morning is that the scriptures lead us into these tensions. The scriptures lead us into these places where we can't fully explain everything. But they give us enough explanation that we can believe and we can pin our hopes and our lives and our eternity upon them. The scriptures teach unequivocally and John 1 teaches unequivocally that Jesus 
is the Son of God. He's not the Father, but he's the Son, and he has come to make the Father known to us and that this Jesus is God. The scriptures also teach that this Jesus is a man and that he lived and moved and had his being amongst humanity. Now, before I leave this point about Jesus being a man, I I just want to enter into where you and I might struggle. Are you weary today? Yeah, I am. The Jesus who is God, to whom we pray, who is able to accomplish all things, has been weary like you. And he didn't sin in his weariness. Do you feel tempted today? The Jesus, who is God, who is able to deliver you from temptation, was tempted just like you because he was a man and he did not sin. Do you feel broken, sad, hurting, looking for for hope in this world, feel betrayed, feel like people have turned upon you? Our God who became man has endured all of those things and endured them without sinning and, and thus he is able to hear our prayers and understand them and answer them and be with us and minister to us because God dwelt among us. There's nothing that we can bring to God that God does not understand, does not comprehend, and in the person of Jesus has not experienced on our behalf. While Jesus never sinned, he bore the weight of sin. When he died upon a cross, to carry the weight of our sin. Which leads to our final point and our concluding point this morning. Jesus gives salvation. So why all of this? Why all of this talk about Jesus as God and the word and taking on flesh? And why all this talk about Jesus as man? Because John wants us to believe that Jesus indeed is our deliverer, indeed is our savior, indeed is our hope. We live in a world of death. We live in a world of sin. We live in a world of separation. We live in a world of brokenness. And, And John is saying that Jesus is the answer to all of those things. He is the Savior for God's people. So, quickly, we live in a world of death and darkness. John tells us that Jesus is life and light. Verses 4 and 5. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which, light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. What John is saying to us is we tangibly live in a world of death 
and a world of darkness, and Jesus is light. That is, He is good, and He is pure, and He is right, and He exposes darkness with light. We also live in a world of death, and Jesus is the giver of life. Not just of our first life, but also of the life that is eternal. We're told that all who receive Him, all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God and the children of God are born of God. We're also told that we live in a world separated from God. And John says Jesus came to take those who were separated from God and make them the children of God. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God. We live in a world of rebellion against God and rebellion against God's way. And Jesus came to give grace and truth that would change who we are. Jesus came to meet sinners with grace and truth that transforms. Jesus came to bring salvation. Salvation is a Bible word for deliverance. Salvation is a Bible word for forgiveness. Salvation is a Bible word for acceptance to God. Salvation is a Bible word for everlasting life. What stands between us and God, between us and salvation, is death, is darkness, is separation, and is rebellion. And John says Jesus came to overcome every single one of those with his life, his death, and his resurrection. So the God-man came to give salvation. And so the question for us all this morning is this. Do you receive him? Do you believe in his name? If you're one to write in your Bible, go to chapter 1, verse 12. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. These questions, do you receive him? Do you believe in his name? They come with an invitation and they come with assurance. Here's the invitation. If your life is characterized by, by darkness, decay, death, separation from God, rebellion against God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, came to bring you salvation. And today, you may receive him. Today, you may confess your need for him. You may believe in his name, and he will give you life and light and acceptance and grace and truth. And if you do believe in him, if you have received him, if you do belong to him, if you are his child, then here's the promise. He's given you the right to be children of God. You feel far off if you're in Christ, you're a child of God. Do you feel filled with anxiety and fear if you're in Christ, you're a child of God. Do you feel separated and broken if you're in Christ? You're a child of God. We can humbly hold our heads high before the Father because Jesus, the God-man, has made us children of God. 
There's hope and there's encouragement and there's strength and there's power in belonging to God through Christ because He came to make God's salvation known and possible and real for sinful people like us.